Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The president bringing compassion and a pitch. The lead starts right now. This hour, President Biden expected to speak in New York City after getting a look at the record-setting, deadly flood devastation across the region. He says it should be a wake-up call for Congress. Could the cover charge for that last bash of the summer be a COVID surge? The warning as vaccinations continue at a sluggish pace in the U.S. Plus, the Taliban firing warning shots as women join protests on the streets. And these are the same people announcing a new government today. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Erica Hill in for Jake Tapper. We start today with our national lead. At any moment, President Biden is expected to speak after touring storm damage in New York and New Jersey. The remnants of Hurricane Ida killed at least 50 people in the Northeast. You see him here earlier today in New Jersey. This afternoon, President Biden pointing to the recent string of extreme weather as a sign that climate change is already here and also using that opportunity to pitch his massive infrastructure plan as necessary to combat climate change. But as CNN's Jeff Zeleny reports, a battle is raging inside his own party on how to get it done. President Biden offering hugs and compassion, serving storm damage today. Thank God you're safe. Thank God, yeah. A week after Hurricane Ida's deadly wrath struck New Jersey and New York. A first-hand look at neighborhoods devastated by floodwaters, where residents are still sorting through what's left of their ravaged homes. The losses uh, that we witnessed today are profound. Dozens of lost lives, homes destroyed. The president using the visit to make the case for his infrastructure bill and his broader economic agenda, including measures to fight climate change. Global warming is real and it's moving at an incredible pace. We've got to do something about it. From wildfires in the West to epic rains in the Midwest to storms in the South and beyond, the White House says one in three Americans live in counties impacted in recent months by severe weather, a sign the president said climate change must be taken more seriously. Every part of the country is getting hit by extreme weather. And uh, we're now living in real time what the country's going to look like. And if we don't do something, we can't turn it back very much, but we can prevent it from getting worse. The White House is pressing Congress to pass a $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure measure, along with a sweeping $3.5 trillion overhaul of the nation's social policy programs, including climate measures. Yet the legislative path for both Biden priorities is uncertain, with Democrats like Senator Joe Manchin and others raising objections to the price tag on the bigger bill. When asked how he intends to get those Democrats on board, the president struck an optimistic tone as he left the White House. Is the sun going to come out tomorrow? The administration also grappling with another crisis, the stubborn fight against COVID-19. The president is set to address the Delta variant and new government actions in a speech set for Thursday. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the president's chief medical advisor, telling CNN today more local mandates are needed. They're going to be sports events, travel events, where the rule is going to be if you want to participate, you get vaccinated. If not, sorry, you're not going to be able to do it. 
And the president just moments ago arriving in Queens to look at more flooding damage there. He'll be uh, making three stops on this tour and delivering remarks momentarily. Again, making the pitch for his infrastructure bill and climate change legislation. Erica, this is all coming really at the same time where this is a critical challenge for this administration, their biggest push to Congress. Yeah, certainly. Jeff Selney with the latest for us from the White House. Jeff, thank you. CNN's MJ Lee is in Queens where President Biden, as Jeff noted, will speak at any moment. Uh, MJ, what are you hearing from people on the ground there? Well, people on the ground here, Erica, are just devastated. This is an area, Queens, New York, that was hit so hard by the remnants of Hurricane Ida. Uh, This is where uh, multiple people uh, died because they could not get out of their basement apartments fast enough as the water flooded in. And if you walk around this area, you see the signs of devastation everywhere. There are just piles of trash, of furniture, moldy carpeting. You see that construction is already well underway as people try to fix their homes. Homes. Uh, one man that we spoke to who says his basement was completely flooded, uh, completely wrecked, talked about why the timing of this uh, has been so especially devastating for the community here. Take a listen. Everything got destroyed, literally everything. We've This whole weekend, we've just been taking stuff out of the house and putting it into the alleyway. Mm-hmm. You know, literally, there's nothing left. Our community is so numb. We got hit by corona, by crazy, this neighborhood. I mean, not too long ago, we had a freezer taking bodies away from the hospital so at this point we're kind of just emotionally numb and it's like at this point the tragedy is people losing their lives Look, he says he is thankful that everyone in his family has been safe. But when he thinks about just everything that they have lost, he is at a loss for words, Erica. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, Do they have any thoughts on what they want or even need to hear from the president today? Well, look, we know and we got a preview of this, both from the president himself and his aides, that he is going to talk a lot about climate change. The folks that we have spoken to today, they all did say that they believe this kind of thing will happen again and again uh, because of climate change. I think for the immediate future, they're worried about just fixing their homes, uh, getting everything out of their basements and figuring out how they're going to pay for this. But, yeah, I think going forward, there are going to be policies that they're interested in uh, hearing about, both from their local governments and on a federal level, uh, people talking about how the sewage pipe simply just ran over, that they think that unless these infrastructure problems are dealt with, this kind of problem is going to continue. One man we spoke to said that when this is all over, he is going to sell his house because he's not convinced that this isn't going to happen again, Erica. Yeah, I know that's the concern I've heard from other people within the region, too. Uh, When is this going to happen again? MJ Lee, thank you. Joining me now on the phone, the Democratic governor of New Jersey, Phil Murphy. Governor, good to have you with us. You met with the president earlier today, uh, you know, and you told folks in some of the counties in your state that are not part of this major disaster declaration that they should use state resources until, and I'm quoting you here, please, God, they get designated as a disaster county. Did President Biden give you any assurances, Governor, that more counties, currently six are covered in New Jersey, could be added to that initial declaration? Good to be with you, Eric. It was a very successful visit by the president and the FEMA administration, administrator, among others. Uh, no commitment, but FEMA literally is on the ground in four or five other counties uh, as we speak. Uh, and they have an overwhelmingly compelling case to be included in this major uh, uh, disaster declaration. But again, the president has been there from moment one 
and I have every expectation that he'll continue to be there for us, and God knows we need it. We saw some awful devastation today. The, the, the pictures, I think, even as awful as they are, don't begin to do it justice when you see it in person. But, you know, I wonder, you said there's no commitment. Are you disappointed at all that you didn't get a commitment? What exactly do you need? How many more counties need to be added? Yeah, there's a process. The reason I'm not disappointed is there's been money good on their commitment so far, number one. And number two, there's a process that FEMA has to go through, and they're going through that process as we speak. Uh, and there's probably another four or five counties that deserve to be on that list. And they're in most, if not all, of them today. And, again, I have, uh, I, we have a great relationship with FEMA. The president has been terrific. Um, and, God willing, this will come out in the right place. So it sounds like you're confident that could happen fairly soon. I know you've also talked about the, the importance of shoring up infrastructure for any future storms. Some of those projects, as you well know, could take years. Um, people need help right now, as we just heard from MJ Lee in Queens, um, including people like Cesar Garcia. He and his family, they lost their home in Dunellen, New Jersey. Here's what he said earlier. Sad to be you home. That's the only place that I have. So me and my kids... We don't have no place to go. He said he has nowhere to go. There are some benefits I know available now. Mayor Bill de Blasio, as you know, in New York City, has said he's going to send teams door to door to make sure everyone signs up. Are you going to do the same, make sure people are getting everything that they can? You, you bet. And you hear stories like that. I've now been in, I don't know, 10 or so communities. I've spoken with dozens of mayors. I've spoken with scores of individuals who have been impacted. It's a, it's a crushing, life-altering event, uh, and, and enough already. We know this is happening with increased frequency, increased intensity. We need a new playbook, but we will be there. My message has been to, to everybody, this road will not be short. Unfortunately, it will be long to get back on our feet, but we will stay with you every step of the way, and we'll make sure everybody gets exactly what they deserve uh, coming to them. I mean, how long do you think? Oh, it'll be it'll be a while, Erica. I mean, this is uh, uh, you, you've got. We, we had a very good roundtable discussion today with the president. It's not just the financial resources; it's things like supplies, like lumber, where we already had a global shortage. Uh, getting getting cars replaced again, where we had a shortage. This is not going to be overnight. But the message I've I've shouted out the president clearly as well is we're, we're going to be by your side and we will be shoulder to shoulder with you until we're back on our feet. Uh, you know, we've heard from folks both in New Jersey and New York. I mean, I've heard specifically from people in New York where I live that the flash flood warnings felt inadequate. Um, do you think enough was done to warn people that this flash flooding was coming to give them enough time to get out safely? Listen, when you've lost 27 lives and we still have four missing, we have to, we have to review every element of our process. Um, we had a National Weather Service call at 10 a.m. that day. We activated our county emergency and state emergency functions at noon. We held a press conference at 1. We put out many both tornado warnings and flash flood warnings, social media we threw a lot at this, uh, but when you've lost 27 lives, you've got to look in the mirror and ask yourself what else needs to be done, and we will do just that. I know you've been warning today about more rain in the forecast, possible yeah. flooding tomorrow. How do you prepare for that when it's still saturated in many areas? You, you betcha. That's the issue. The, the ground is saturated. Uh, trees are loose. Um, and and uh, I don't think tomorrow, as I sit here at this time, is going to be at the level of last week, please God, 
but we are trying to do everything we can to both assess how serious it is and give people ample warnings uh, to do the right thing, including, sadly, we, we had uh, an, uh, an overwhelming amount of those 27 losses of life uh, were from flooding and folks in cars. And so staying off the road in, in a serious storm is always good advice. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thank you. And keep us posted uh, on any further assistance. Thanks for having me, Erica. Uh, a total lack of compassion for grandparents, for the most vulnerable today. Details about another case of shocking neglect after nursing home evacuees were crammed into a warehouse. Several of them died. And a warning that winter is coming this time, courtesy of the Delta variant, what Dr. Fauci says we all need to do to prevent another very painful surge. In our national lead, as thousands of people across the hurricane disaster zone in Louisiana endure another sweltering day without electricity, the state is also facing growing scandals involving neglect and deaths of the elderly in the aftermath of Hurricane Ida. CNN's Martin Savage is in New Orleans. So there are now two separate incidents, one involving nursing home patients who were moved to a warehouse and also now the discovery of bodies in some apartments in a senior living complex in New Orleans. What more do we know about that? Right. In fact, Erica, two bodies were found inside of the building you can see behind me here. What's going on with that particular circumstance here in New Orleans, and we're dealing with rain while we uh, talk here, is the fact that there were a number of apartment buildings that specifically had a senior clientele. The city knew about this. And after the storm, they began to get worried when they didn't hear much information coming from those apartment complexes. So Friday, they sent out teams to search and literally put eyes on the people living there. And what they found were horrific conditions in which many seniors had been living under extreme heat. They had no electricity. Some of them had died as a result of either the machinery they needed, the oxygen generators, or just simply because they couldn't get access or cry out for help. And there were five total bodies that were recovered on that search. And then you have the separate incident, which is the warehouse. This is where seven nursing homes evacuated about 800 to 840 of their senior citizens and placed them in a warehouse about an hour north of New Orleans. That was before the storm. A nursing home and a warehouse are two very different things. And shortly after those people got into that nursing home, you realize that the suffering was very prevalent. And some of the calls that were coming in to 911 from those people read like this. Patient gasping, having trouble breathing. Person that's having seizures. Diabetic patient has not eaten due to having any supplies. Stroke patient lying on the floor being treated poorly. There were other reports of, in fact, deaths. In fact, now seven deaths have been attributed to seniors being literally warehoused. Horrific conditions the state's investigating. Uh, it is just awful to think about. Meantime, it's been more than a week now since that storm hit. I know we see you in the rain there, hear a little thunder in the background, but you're also dealing with a heat advisory today. In fact, much of the area is, and there are still so many people without electricity, more than 400,000. What more do we know about efforts to restore power today? Well, if I look at the good news, the good news is that most of the city of New Orleans has had the power restored or will have it restored by the end of the day tomorrow. There'll be a few pockets, but otherwise the city's pretty good. It's outside of that. It's the other parishes, those that were hardest hit by the storm and also those that are more remote where their communities are more remote. And as a result, 
getting those power lines back or getting to the damaged equipment, in some cases, it's going to require electrical teams to get on airboats and get out into the swampy areas to try to restore. And that's why that work is projected in some cases to take to maybe the end of the month, Erica. End of the month, tough to hear. Martin Savage, appreciate it as always. Thank you. Uh, there are new questions about just what is considered to be a full regimen of the COVID vaccine. So could you need a fourth or even a fifth dose? Lead experts are bracing for another COVID surge after the long holiday weekend and with more schools back in session. But as seen as Nick Watt reports, Dr. Anthony Fauci says if we, quote, do the right things or do things right, rather, there won't be a dramatic increase. This is the nation just logged 40 million total cases since the pandemic began. Right now, we are in outbreak mode. Four million new COVID-19 cases reported in just the past four weeks. It could go either way and it's up to us. So this is an inflection point as temperatures drop and millions of kids venture back inside classrooms. If we do things right, we hope that we don't see much increase at all. We've got to get the school system masked. So are now flying. But remember, there are politicians and parents fighting that simple logic. You are all demonic entities. Me, you are going you, to be you, taken down. Me, you Lord- already had your first warning and this is your last. She cannot speak anymore. Meantime, nearly 100,000 Americans are in the hospital fighting this virus. The vast majority unvaccinated. Sad and sometimes demoralizing. I'm, I'm not judging patients for making that decision. I really want to empathize, try to understand why they're afraid of the the treatment because what they really need to be afraid of is the virus. Idaho planning to ration care some places due to a beds and staff shortage. The governor calls this an unprecedented and unwanted point in the history of our state. We have about 75 million people in this country who are eligible to be vaccinated who are not yet vaccinated. If we get the overwhelming majority of those people vaccinated, We could turn this around. In more than half of states, there is a little dip in average daily cases right now. Will that hold? Last year, there was a post-Labor Day bump. We are having to prepare ourselves for having yet again another surge. This Labor Day weekend, scenes like this. Football fans packed in the stands in Alabama, which has the lowest vaccination rate in the land. In South Carolina, which has the highest infection rate in the land and in Georgia, where near record numbers are already in the hospital. So I just told you about the deteriorating situation in Idaho, and we just saw those crowds in Alabama and Arkansas. Well, the U.S. military just announced it is going to send 60 medical personnel to those three states to help. Erica. Nick Watt with the latest. Nick, thank you. Joining me now to discuss CNN Chief Medical Correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta. So Sanjay, a lot of folks traveled, as we know, despite that CDC warning, people getting together for Labor Day. As of today, pretty much every school almost is back in session across the country. And we also just learned that kids now account for more than one in four of weekly COVID cases, Mm -hmm. according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. 
I mean, I don't think there is a way to put the genie back in the bottle at this point, but correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, I, th I think you're right. I mean, I think the idea that this virus is, is here to stay is, is becoming, you know, something that I think most scientists uh, sort of believe at this point. It's a very contagious virus. Uh, there are remnants of the 1918 flu virus that are still around more than 100 years later. And COVID is one of these viruses that we're going to have to learn to live with for some time. You know, I mean, it's an uncomfortable conversation, Erica, but I think the real question is not so much is this virus here to stay? It is. But what are we willing to, to tolerate in terms of its impact on us. You know, when, when it comes to flu, tens of thousands of people still die of flu every year. Only half the country gets a flu shot, for example, every year. There are, there are several things, which you've talked about for more than a year now, Erica, which could make a difference, uh, obviously, in terms of really reducing the impact overall. Getting vaccinated, we talk about that all the time. Quarter of the country, uh, eligible adults, still not vaccinated. Wear the right type of masks. There are certain type of masks that are going to be much more protective. Ventilation, making sure you have enough ventilation indoors is really important. Get testing when you can. And reassess your risk. You've got to reassess your risk in different situations depending on what's going on. A big crowded indoor setting, it should surprise no one now that that would be a riskier situation than a less crowded outdoor setting. Yeah, we have learned a lot. The question is how many of us are actually putting that knowledge to use at this point. Right. Um, you know, this morning, Dr. Fauci said that a third dose of the COVID vaccine could perhaps just be part of a full vaccine regimen. Here's a little more. It looks very much like it isn't as if two doses of a vaccine are failing. It's that the proper regimen will very likely, as we look back on it months from now, will be that three doses is really what you should be getting of an mRNA. The reality is, and we've known this from the beginning, you've been very clear, Sanjay, that we're all learning about this as we go. The science keeps changing. Uh, so, yes, there couldn't end up being an, an annual booster even. But would it help in some cases to be maybe less definitive in some of these statements? Because we know so much could still change. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's right, Erica. I mean, you know, that's the thing about science. Uh, you know, it does change. You have to present it with humility and and uh, sort of concede they are, that we are learning as we go along. Sometimes people expect science to be like math. Two plus two is always going to equal four. It does change. I think the thing that's been confusing about the boosters is that we were told initially that take these two shots if it's an mRNA vaccine separated by three or four weeks. And if we see evidence that people are getting sick and hospitalized or even dying uh, that have been vaccinated, that would be a signal that a booster would be necessary. So what we're really hearing is two messages. One is that the vaccines continue to work really well. On the other hand, you, you might need a booster because there's some evidence that maybe they won't, you know, they may wane in terms of their protection over time. What I'm now hearing is I talked to a lot of scientists over the weekend is that a booster was probably always part of the equation, even though that was not communicated. And take a look at other adult vaccines, uh, Erica. A lot of people are familiar with these vaccines. Most vaccines actually do get a boost. You know, you look at the herpes, uh, the uh, herpes vaccine, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, HPV. They all get one, sometimes two boosts down the road. So that is a common thing. I think what's been confusing is that was not communicated with this particular vaccine up front. Mm -hmm. I think most people thought two and done. And now now it sounds like from what Dr. Fauci is saying, a booster is going to be recommended. We'll hear from the FDA and the CDC on this. That's who needs to weigh in. We haven't heard officially from them yet.
Yeah, and that meeting, I think, is uh, September 17th, so we have a little time as we wait wait for that um, in terms of Pfizer as a booster. Meantime, there's a new Gallup poll that shows more Americans now disagree than agree uh, that President Biden has communicated a clear plan when it comes to COVID-19. You know, we've talked about this a lot, that mixed messaging, the confusion that really has plagued the pandemic response in this country from day one. Do you think that can be fixed at this point? Is there is there a way to message better from here on out? It, it's tough. It, it, this is it's really hard, especially when you have a shifting sort of landscape. And it's it's tough, you know. I think uh, for anybody to communicate, uh, you know, definitively in, in a, at a time when things may change. What I would say is that I think if you accept this notion that we are going to have COVID, COVID is here to stay. Then I think really defining what success means, I think, is going to be really important. And I know that this is one of those things where, you know, we still need to get a vaccine authorized for, for kids. We still, we obviously, I think everyone agrees that hospitals cannot be overwhelmed. I mean, that's just ridiculous what's happening in these hospitals. Patients who have nothing to do with COVID aren't getting care because of this. That is not a tenable situation. That is not a life with COVID. But what is a successful society that has to now live with this pathogen? I think we have to define that. And I think that's going to be something that the hopefully we'll hear a little bit more about from the president when he speaks tomorrow on this. But also going back to these things like boosters, the career scientists leading the way on this, making sure they're the ones speaking out, uh, as opposed to this being you know, seemingly entangled in politics, I think is always going to be important. Yeah, it certainly is. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, always good to see you, my friend. Thank you. You too, Erica. See ya. Any moment, President Biden will speak after touring storm damage here in the Northeast, and we're going to bring you those remarks live. Plus, the Taliban announcing members of their new government in Afghanistan. But there is something that is glaringly missing from that announcement. Stroke of a pen, new voting restrictions now official in Texas today. Election integrity is now law in the state of Texas. Governor Greg Abbott there signing the state's Senate Bill 1 this afternoon. Among the changes with that bill, no more drive through or 24-hour voting in Texas. There are new limits on early voting hours, new ID requirements for mail-in voting, and mail-in voting applications can no longer be sent out unsolicited. The new law is one of several that Republicans have used in recent months to cement their conservative liens. Let's discuss. Um, so as we look at this, in addition to this voting rights bill, of course, in recent weeks, Texas Republicans have added controversial laws on abortion, guns, school lessons on race and history, even the national anthem. Texas has been a pretty red state for generations. Um, but with so much talk about how Texas is becoming more diverse, Bakari, more purple, these legislative moves are really a, a hard turn to the right. So how effective could this new law be in keeping Texas red? Well, first and foremost, I think that the correct word to use when describing the, the Texas legislature is draconian at best. Um, they're taking uh, Texas and the southern part of this country back to uh, 1940, 1950s, when America wasn't so great for people of color in this country. I think you're going to see individuals rise up um, in the next election cycle in Texas but with this new election law in place, and this is where Democrats have to begin to step up their game. For far too long, we haven't been caring about judgeships. 
we haven't been paying attention since Barack Obama's time to state legislatures. And now you see Republicans reaping the benefit of their majorities and sometimes supermajorities in state legislatures, particularly throughout the South. You know, in signing that voting bill, Governor Abbott uh, was asked about his state's six weeks ban on abortion and why a rape or incest victim should be forced to carry a pregnancy to term. Here's his response. It doesn't require that at all because uh, obviously uh, it provides uh, at least six weeks uh, for a person uh, to be able to uh, get an abortion. So for one, it doesn't provide that. That said, however, let's make something very clear. Rape is a crime and Texas will work tirelessly to make sure that we eliminate all rapists from the streets of Texas. Uh, we are going to shift gears here, going straight to President Biden speaking in New York. This alley with me to see and talk to the people who've been devastated. Just talk to them. None of them were shouting or complaining. Every one of them were thanking me as if it was something special. I mean it sincerely that I was here and hoped that we'd be able to do something. This is America, where I'm standing right now. These are the people, whether it's in Scranton or Claymont or anywhere around the world, the country, who built this country. And it's about time we step up. They're always the first ones that are hurt and the last ones that are helped. But that's not going to happen this time. The group I have standing with me, led by Chuck Schumer and your Congresswoman, is this your district? Grace Ming. Oh, it's Grace's oh, district. No, it's, it's I want to thank her personally for her gumption, the way she's fought and hollered and fought so hard for all the people in this alley. I really mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But that goes for everybody here. And look, folks, you know, uh, I want to thank Governor for uh, and Leader Schumer and uh, Kristen, I shouldn't I should say Senator Gillibrand and uh, Congresswoman uh, Ming and Maloney and Meeks and uh, Mayor de Blasio for being here. You know, uh, uh, it's not. How can I say this? Sometimes some very bad things happen that have a tendency to bring out the best in a people and a country. And I think what people are seeing across this country, from the wildfires in, in uh, California and the far west, which I'm heading to in a couple of days, all the way to down in Louisiana and the Gulf, where I was a couple of days ago, to New Jersey and Pennsylvania to a lesser extent, Delaware to a lesser extent, and New York, people are beginning to realize this is much, much bigger than anyone was willing to believe. And a whole segment of our population denying this thing called climate change. Right. 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 But I really mean it. Sometimes my mother used to say, out of everything bad, something good will come if you look hard enough for it. Well, I think we've all seen even the climate skeptics are seeing that this really does matter. And it's not just 
whether or not people who are just trying to get by in these homes, in these alleys here, working their butts off do well. It's people in high towers along the shore who find that as this rain and all this change takes place in the groundwater, the buildings are actually beginning to tilt. Mm -hmm. 100-story buildings. This goes so far beyond what anybody's willing to speak to up to now. We just finished surveying some of the damage in the neighborhood here in Queens. And earlier today, we were in the Raritan Valley in New Jersey, which also got badly, badly hit. Walking these neighborhoods, meeting the families and the first responders, seeing how folks are doing after this destruction and pain and another devastating storm is an eye-opener. The people who stand on the other side of the fences who don't live there, who are yelling that we're talking about interfering with free enterprise by doing something about climate change, they don't live there. That's right. That's right. They don't live. They don't understand. And, you know, last week, right here, in so many other communities, these waves crashed through the streets here, testing the aging infrastructure and taking lives. More lives were taken here than down in Louisiana. We say that again. Wow. They had over 20 inches of rain. They had 178 mile an hour winds, gusts, and more lives were taken here than down in Louisiana. And, you know, you all saw the harrowing images of stories and families trapped in flooding basements and struggling to survive. Well, you didn't have to just go along this valley. Talk to the people. I'm sure the press has done that. My message to everyone grappling with this devastation is we're here. We're not going home till this gets done. I really mean that. We're not leaving. We're going to continue to shout as long as it takes to get real progress here. Folks. And we, we have to take some bold action now yes. to tackle, tackle the accelerating yeah. effects of climate. If we don't act now, I'm going to be heading, as Chuck knows, as the senator knows, I'm going to be heading from here to Glasgow in Scotland for the COP meeting, which is all the nations of the world getting together to decide what we're going to do about climate change. And John Kerry, the former Secretary of State, is leading our effort putting together. We are determined we are determined that we are going to deal with climate change and end, have zero emissions, net emissions by 2050. By 2020, make sure all our electricity is zero emissions. We're going to be able to do these things, but we've got to move. We've got to move. And we've got to move the rest of the world. It's not just the United States of America. And so, folks, this summer alone, communities with over 100 million Americans, 100 American-Americans call home, have been struck by extreme weather. One in every three Americans has been victimized by severe weather. Mm. The hurricanes along the Gulf, the East Coast, up through the, the, this community. And I saw the human and physical costs firsthand, as I said, in Louisiana. But Governor you called Phil Murphy, so many of the leading, uh, Governor Murphy, so many leading with urgency and action are said, enough, enough. And there's not a single request I'm aware of, there may be something, that we haven't signed off on, we haven't signed off yet. And here's the deal. The New York Fire Department, the New York Police Department, the Sanitation Department, 
and other first responders, they're leading with incredible, incredible courage. Two linemen have been killed trying to make sure we have. And folks, the evidence is clear. Climate change poses an existential mm -hmm. threat to our lives, to our economy, and the threat is here. It's not going to get any better. The question, can it get worse? We can stop it from getting worse. That's right. And when I talk about building back better, and Chuck is fighting for my program, our program on the Hill, when I talk about building back better, I mean you can't build to what it was before this last storm. You got to build better so if the storm occurred again, there would be no damage. There would be. But that's not going to stop us, though, because if we just do that, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse because the storms are going to get worse and worse and worse. And so, folks, we've got to listen to the scientists and the economists and the national security experts. They all tell us this is code red. The nation and the world are in peril. That's not hyperbole. Yeah. That is a fact. <clears throat> They've been warning us the extreme weather would get more extreme over the decade, and we're living in real time now. Or we can look around the wreckage and the ruins and the heartbreak from so many communities to feel it. They just don't understand. You can feel it. You can taste it. You can see it. Precious lives lost in Louisiana, New Jersey, New York, families living in shelters, subway stations flooded, decaying infrastructure pushed beyond the limits. Lives and livelihoods interrupted once again. We're working closely with the governors and mayors and members of Congress and community leaders. On Sunday, I immediately approved the disaster declaration of Governor Hochul to rush federal assistance to where it was needed here. FEMA, FEMA is working intensively with state and local officials, assessing the damage and mobilizing resources. One of the things I want to thank Chuck for as leader of the Senate. He has helped m mobilize state, local, and federal. When they're all working together, that's when things happen positively. The Health and Human Services Secretary is working with the state to ensure folks on Medicare and Medicaid get the emergency care they need it. They're going to make sure it's equitable so that the hardest hit, including lower income folks, yes. communities of color and the elderly and the most vulnerable, get help and get it first. They are the ones in the greatest need. And there's much to be done and working around the clock and all these critical needs and areas. Look, I say to anyone can hear this or is, if this is broadcast, if you need help, please go to disaster assistance.gov or call 1-800-621-FEMA, 1-800-621-3362. We can get you help now. We can get you help now. And I know these disasters aren't going to stop. They're only going to come with more frequency and ferocity. And I said, I'm working in Congress to pass two important pieces of legislation oh, yeah. that this man here is honchoing through the Congress for me. The bipartisan plan to modernize our physical infrastructure, our roads, our bridges, our power transmissions, our distribution lines. How many bridges I just went, went through in New Jersey that have been overflown by the river? The river's gone higher than the bridges, having done damage to them. My Build Back Better plan with key investments in, 
and to fight climate change, cutting emissions and make things more resilient. Each dollar we invest, every dollar we raise, a city block by two feet, floodproof power stations, sanitations, reduction in the buildup of kindling in our forest, installing electrical lines underground rather than overhead, saves us $6 for every single dollar we spend to do those things. Because the next time disaster strikes, the flood is contained, the fire doesn't spread as wisely, and power stays on. Not to mention those investments save lives, homes, and create good-paying union jobs. Yay. I hosted... We like union jobs. I hosted 56 heads of state in, in Washington. And I pointed out, we're talking about climate change. And I said, I think of one word when I think of climate change. Jobs. Good paying jobs. Each of these things requires a good paying job. Not $7 or 12 or 15, but 45, $50 an hour plus health care. That's what is needed. And so folks, it will also, and Wall Street, not too far from here, acknowledges if we spend the money on these things, we're going to grow the economy. Yes. Increase employment. You know, the fire in Oregon sends smokes all sends smoke all the way to the Atlantic. A storm in the Gulf, as you've now figured out, can reverberate ten states away. Supply chains and crop production get interrupted, driving up costs, devastating industries all over America. This is everybody's crisis. Yes. Everybody's crisis. And let me just say again, the fact is that the damage done on the West Coast, which I'll be heading to, mm -hmm. they've already burned five million acres to the ground. Mm -hmm. That's bigger than the state of New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken. Five million acres. <coughs> and you see it by the smoke that ends up coming over the East Coast. Folks, we're all in this. It's about time we stop the regional fights and understand. Helping somebody make sure there's no fewer fires in the West warrants helping people in this alley make sure they're not flooded. And by the way, it's not just the flooding. I'll end with this. Not just the flooding. Flooding ends up overrunning sanitation systems. And it causes disease. And people get sick. And it's serious, serious business. So we got a lot of work to do. Again, it's good paying jobs. We can put the economy back on a path to real growth. But in the meantime, we're going to save a whole hell of a lot of people's lives. And we're going to save a whole hell of a lot of money. God bless you all. Let's get this done. The president, look at that nice kid with the American flag. Say hello. How are you, pal? What's your name? How old are you? Seven. Oh, you're getting old. Uh, is that nice? And by the way, the neat thing about America, every time we end up with a problem going into a serious circumstance, we come out better than we went in. That's because we're so diverse. That's America. Yeah. Be proud of it. Thank you. And don't jump. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Great job. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks. I didn't get to mention all the names. You've been listening there to President Biden.
President Biden speaking in Queens, New York, flanked there by uh, Senator Schumer and Governor Hochul. Uh, he'd just been touring damage in Queens, storm damage in that area. After touring storm damage in New Jersey earlier in the day, the president, uh, both when he spoke in New Jersey and in New York, pointing to that storm damage as a clear sign that climate change is here, using the opportunity as well to push his infrastructure deal as necessary to combat that climate change. As we look at this, uh, you know, Jeff Thelney, looking at uh, what he was addressing in terms of the damage there. He talked so much about his plans for climate change, pushing his infrastructure plan. Um, It's a lot of policy talk, Um, not as much talk about the victims of the storm in terms of personal stories. It's an interesting choice, I think, Jeff. How is it how is it sitting? Well, Erica, there's no question that uh, the president is trying to seize this opportunity to make the bigger point that something does indeed need to be done for climate change. He said he'll be traveling to California early next week as well about the wildfires there. So certainly uh, he and the White House say that one in three Americans live in counties where there you know, has been devastation in recent uh, severe weather outbreaks. So he is using this as a point. But there were several personal private moments. We saw one there just a few moments ago where he talked to that uh, young boy standing on the, the uh, balcony of his home there. We saw the scenes earlier in New Jersey. So definitely a balance between policy and the personal. But the president is making clear this is a code red moment in his words. So they are trying to use this to push policy as well. Yeah, well, I mean, look, you can't ignore the fact that this is climate change. This is here to stay. The weather is extreme. The infrastructure is a mess and needs work. Those are all the facts, right? MJ, you're there on the grounds in Queens. I mean, a short time ago, you shared with us a gentleman who said he wanted to sell his house after this, what was left, because he was so concerned about it it happening again. Did folks on the ground there who suffered these devastating losses hear what they needed or wanted to? Well, look, you know, Erica, this kind of a trip is a tradition for uh, the president of the United States, right? It is an unfortunate tradition that when this kind of extreme weather events happens, the president goes to the ground, meets with community leaders, meets with the folks who have been affected. And it is a way for him to show and to tell these people that he can see them, that he wants to bring uh, help to the ground. But I think you raise a really important point, you know, for all the talk about uh, climate change legislation and dealing with that. A lot of the folks we talk to, they are looking for immediate, immediate help, and they're just not sure that they're going to get it uh, anytime soon. Yeah, and that is a tough thing. And do you think Biden did his job as consoler in chief? Yes, I do. You know, he Look, said I himself. Think, think, uh, he, Anna, go ahead. Uh, I, you know, look, I, I think this is something that Joe Biden does very well. And You know, most of us, even sitting at home watching these scenes from all over the country, have been struck by the level of catastrophe that's going on all over. And I think, you know, his compassion, what he brings, is uh, is something very unique to him. And and I've got to tell you, as somebody who lives in Florida, a place that's affected by hurricanes like this and by storms like this, how important it is to see your federal, state, and local governments working together in conjunction. How different a scene this is from what we saw in Puerto Rico under President Trump, throwing paper towels, the indignity of doing that, and the way that he treated them. So you want all Americans treated the same, treated with compassion by their president. Bakari, I'm gonna give you last word here. Yeah, today was about tangible solutions. And I also think you stated something at the beginning, Erica, that not too many people that that is still a fight unfortunately but climate change is real it's not a hoax perpetrated by anyone else 
And the fact that the president has to reinforce that is a sad commentary. But real relief looks like policy. It looks like the infrastructure bill. It looks like tackling climate change. And those are the solutions that people want to hear. And that was what he brought today. So did he answer their call? He did. And he did it in a way that only Joe Biden can do it. Bakari Sellers, Anna Navarro, MJ Lee, and Jeff Selene, thank you all. Thanks to all of you for joining us this hour on The Lead. Our coverage continues in the Situation Room right now. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.